Welcome into Sports by Northwest, a special mashup episode this week because it's not just Sports by Northwest, it's also Soccer Made in Portland, a crossover episode. I'm Bill Oram, columnist at The Oregonian, and I'm joined this week by Chris Reifer, co-host of Soccer Made in Portland. Uh, Chris, how different is it being in this space as opposed to being in Soccer Made in Portland when it's just you and Brian Clark? I mean, first of all, and this is really going to come through well for our uh, listeners who have no visual, uh, I love the wood panel background. It is, it's like, it's, it's such a soothing, almost sophisticated feeling for, uh, for, for a podcast, um, far superior than what I usually get to look at, which is like, you know, the back of, uh, of like, you know, Ryan's wall or something like that. So, uh, I love the wood paneling. It's really giving me the soccer by Northwest vibes. Well, and I, soccer by Northwest. I like. Sport, soccer by Northwest. So- soccer by Northwest. Northwest. That's yeah. what this is. Soccer by Northwest. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so we are doing it this this week because for, for a variety of reasons. One, Chris, you know, I'm relatively new to town and we've connected um, on social media, but haven't had this conversation in in person. So I'm glad we're doing that now. Uh, Timbers kicked off the season a couple days delayed on Monday about uh, against Sporting KC. We'll get to that in a second. But also because you are Sans co-host right That's now right. because uh, the esteemed Ryan Clark is somewhere in the boot of Italy um, celebrating his, his new engagement. So congratulations to Ryan. Um, we wish he was here, but also a uh, pretty special uh, experience for he and his and his fiance. Huge congratulations to Ryan, uh, and, 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 and soon to be, you know, uh, official legal family. Um, and, and all of that, uh, and congratulations also to Ryan for, I think his only check-ins, uh, on social media since he's been away have been to update us about what he's eating and drinking. Uh, and given the fact that he's, he's currently running roughshod over, you know, the, the length of Italy, uh, what he's eating and drinking looks pretty spectacular. So, uh, with jealousy uh, in that respect, uh, congratulations to Ryan as well. Also, um, Chris, I know we're going to talk a lot about the Timbers. We're going to talk some Thorns. We're going to talk soccer. But I need to start by talking about a tweet you sent today. Yeah. About one Chauncey Billups. And I'll, I'll just read it for, for the audience. But we're gonna, this is going to be this is going to be fun. Your, your tweet four hours ago uh, was, whenever somebody in sports complains about how critical Portland media are, you can remind them that as of March 1st, 2023, the year of our Lord, I added that part, not a single major <laughs> Portland journalist or columnist was calling for Chauncey Billups to be fired as Blazers coach. Sports media here are downright nice. First of all, thank you. Very second well. of all, <laughs> second of all, if I'm reading your tweet and then the, 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 the discourse afterwards... Your argument is not that Chauncey Billups should be fired. You don't want Chauncey Billups fired. You just want more people to be talking about whether he should be fired. You know, and I don't even know if I would say I want more people to talk about whether he should be fired. I mean, I guess I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a more than casual Blazers fan, but not like substantially more than casual Blazers fan, just being a, a Portland native and the like. Um, and so, you know, uh, if, if somebody were to ask me today whether I think Chauncey Billups should come back for 2023-24, um, I'd probably say no, but I also don't have particularly strong feelings about it. And I don't even know if I if I'm saying that I I think people should be talking about this more. I just think if if instead of the Portland Trailblazers, he were coaching the New York Knicks or the Philadelphia 76ers or the Chicago Bulls or any number of other teams around the league, there would be a lot of discourse right now about how Chauncey Billups is coaching for his job. And and that's just not the discourse in Portland. I I, I think it's a it's a, a a different market. It's a different media market. Uh, and 
I, frankly, I prefer to be on this side of the spectrum than the other side because I think the other side gets awfully hot takey. Not, not that I'm opposed to hot takes. Don't get me wrong, um, but but can get pretty toxic uh, at times and reactionary. Uh, I think Portland is is pretty close to the opposite end of the spectrum from that. And I think it's funny because you do still hear folks bellyache about you know how everybody's a critic and, and all that kind of stuff here in Portland. But man, it's a it, it is it is the opposite end uh, of the spectrum from sort of the classic sports radio uh, sort of uh, sort sort of stuff that we hear around the country. So I, I think it's interesting because like you know I've covered the NBA and by the way for our for our uh, for our soccer made in Portland listeners this is we're talking about basketball. Um, what's interesting about this conversation to me, and I covered the NBA for 10 years exclusively is there is like a rhythm to these things where it kind of, you know, God, I reference this movie all the time, but there's a, a journalism movie from the early nineties called the paper with Michael Keaton and the parking commissioner is drinking himself. Like, you know, it's Jason Alexander's drinking himself probably nearly to death. And he doesn't understand why the columnist Randy Quaid is, is picking on him and is, is writing so much about the parking commission. And, and Randy Quaid says, you work for the city. It was your turn. And I feel like it's a little bit like that in, in sports, right? It's like, you know, it's the GM's fault, then it's the player's fault, and then it's, you know, it's the coach's fault, and there's a rhythm to these things. But, like, I look at the Blazers, and, like, Chauncey Billups and, like, whether or not he's a good coach or has been a good coach for the Blazers is hardly on my radar, like, in terms of, like, my issues with the Blazers at this point. You know, I look at, at you know, the roster construction and the fact that you have a you know, essentially a first year front office trying to get the roster right when it's clearly not um, the injuries that Chauncey Billups had, especially in his first year. Like, I don't know how he could ever um, really grow as a coach, given what he was dealing with, especially the last 25 games. That said, I mean, I don't know that this season has gotten us any closer to answering the essential Chauncey Billups question, which was, is he a good coach? Um, and I just thought it was interesting that you went there after last night's loss when they led by, I mean, 24 in the first half and lost by 18, if I'm if I'm yep. getting those numbers right. You know, and this is, you know, I don't think it's all that essential. They make the postseason, at least from a team building standpoint. But you've got Damian Lillard who's out there trying. He wants to. Yep. Um, it would be good for the young guys. It would be good for Chauncey, frankly, to coach in that environment. Um and I don't think it hurts you to make it. It's not a situation where you're going to be in the in the Wembenyama sweepstakes anyway. So, I mean, yeah, they should be trying to make the, the play. And I think at this point, um, <clears throat> all that said, I just think it's a really interesting question that we just don't have any clarity on him, whether or not he's a good coach. And I think he should absolutely be back next year because I don't think he's gotten a very fair, you know, run at this thing. Um, but, you know, I talked to people around the NBA about him and, you know, it's pretty clear that he has like the elite player relations skills. Like he's, you know, I thought the yeah. way he handled Cam Reddish coming in where he's like, I'm going to start Cam Reddish. He hasn't played in three months because he was in Tibbs' doghouse. I'm going to start him. I'm going to make him feel empowered here. I'm going to give him a chance. And, you know, Reddish has been up and down, but it's been six games. So I think that like that sort of like perspective is incredible. But I also think and I actually think that like a lot of the strategy has been pretty sound. It's when teams adjust to the Blazers and like kind of their scheme coming in that I'm, I think we haven't quite seen that Chauncey or his staff are capable of kind of winning the, the the coaching battle kind of throughout a game. Like, I mean, you can come up with a good scheme, but then can you adjust to what, to how the team is adjusting to you? And I think that's the thing we haven't really seen. Yeah. I think so putting, you know, put it cosplaying, cosplaying, however people pronounce that, uh, as a, as a blazers, uh, pundit for the, for the moment. Um, uh, 
you know, I, I I think those are all very fair points, and 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 I don't mean to say that that the the roster construction is where it should be, uh, or or that this is entirely on, on Belichick's shoulders. And I think it's completely fair to point out uh, that he has not exactly been given you know a flat runway uh, over the course of the last year and now two thirds uh, to to sort of put his, impre- his make his impression on the team. But I would also say the fact that we are nearing the end of year two. Uh, and we don't have sure. good answers to to the question of whether Chauncey Billups is a good coach. At some point, that reflects on Billups, because you know when you have really good coaches, when you have have somebody like that, they are going to make an impression. Maybe it's maybe it's only on an individual player level, or it's a collection of players. Maybe it's not uh, sort of across the roster just because of the amount of turnover that there's been. Uh, but at some point, you would hope to see some sort of a trajectory. And I think even if you only look at 22-23 in isolation, you don't love the trajectory that they've shown over the course of the season. This was They were you know, a much more successful team in October and November than they are now. Uh, and, and that is the opposite of the trajectory that the Blazers typically had under Terry Stotts, uh, which was pretty notorious slow starters. And then by the time that, that February and March came around, uh, they'd be off and running. Uh, and and so I think if you, you know, even set the record aside and and just look at the trajectories, just look at the individual players' trajectories. Is is Anthony Simon significantly better today than he was when Chauncey Billups took over? Uh, are are are, are I some would, of I, think, these- I, I mean, I, I think so. I mean, I mean, you know, he went from being still kind of the marginalized, you know, backup, you know, with with CJ here, and a lot of this has been created by what the front office did. Yeah, but like, yeah. I mean, you know, he's a, you know a very credible starting shooting guard right now in the NBA who I think has, you know, some value at, 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 in the trade market, which I think is honestly probably a big part of Chauncey's job with a lot of these young guys, make them good enough that we can, you know, utilize them in a trade to go get the players we're going to want, you know, in kind of in the short term next to Dame, but sorry to cut you off. But I, I do, I do think you've seen that growth from me. And if you've seen that growth, and I mean, and you've got a, a, Dam- a guy in Damian Lillard who will not be, but should be first team all NBA this year. If you've got Anthony Simons, who's a credible starting shooting guard in the NBA, if you've got Jeremy Grant, who is a a very credible starting uh, three four in the NBA, if you've got Yusuf, Yusuf Nurkic, uh, who is a guy who, although he has had a very poor season and has had some in- injury issues, has had a lot of success in his time here in Portland. Uh, overall, has has been at very minimum a credible starting center uh, over the course of his time here in Portland, at least when healthy. Um, you know, I, I think that's when you kind of do have to step back and say, yeah, there are certainly roster construction issues on this roster, but it's not like the cupboard is completely bare. This isn't Damian Lillard with a bunch of misfits. Uh, and, you know, then I think you do have to take a step back and look at the, the the record and say, is that as much as somebody could get out of this team? And I think I and, and you know, I, I don't know that I have a super strong take about that. Uh, I, I guess I lean toward know that somebody that we could reasonably expect a coach to get more uh, out of that roster. But I don't have a super strong take about it. But my 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 strongest take is that basically anywhere else, that would be more of a conversation. Any, any, anywhere else, people would have stronger takes. Yeah, I, that's, I, that's, I, that's right. And I do think it's interesting to to muse, and we're going to get off this in just a second. But I do, I do think it's interesting to wonder, like, if instead of Chauncey Billups, the Blazers – had hired Quinn Snyder and they couldn't have Quinn was, you know, hadn't left Utah yet. So I'm not saying that they right. hired the wrong guy, but uh, you know, is cause I think there are a lot of teams in the NBA where it doesn't strongly matter who's coaching the team. Like, I mean, I covered 
the Lakers and it's like, it didn't really matter who was coaching the team. Yeah. I thought Frank Vogel did a good job and got hosed, but I mean, did it really matter who was coaching those teams? Um, I, you know, I think, I think this Blazers team, like it could make a difference who's coaching them. You know, I, I, I think that there's, you know, enough, you know, room for a coach to come in and have a real impact. So if you'd hired Quinn Snyder, let's say as, you know, I think one of the coaches that we think is like a really impactful coach, um, would this team be dramatically better? I don't know the, I don't know the answer to that. I just, I, I, I don't, I, 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 I kind of think, no, I think that their, I think their problems are sort of, or their issues. I don't even mean problems, but I think the things that are keeping them from being a top four seed in the West are very separate from coaching. And so right now it's about Chauncey and his learning curve, um, basically eventually aligning with the trajectory of the roster. Um, okay, Chris. Thank you for indulging me. <laughs> I, you mean I can I can stop pretending to be something that well I mean you know I pretend to be something that I'm not a lot which is you know an expert on soccer etc cetera, etc cetera. but I can stop pretending to be an expert on the Blazers which is great it puts me in a much more comfortable well and I position. value the fan perspective like I think the fan perspective is is really interesting and like the casual fan perspective you know if you're watching the game and you and that's kind of something you're coming away with I think that's interesting yeah yeah it is something you know and and I guess a, a lot of this is bound up in my fan angst. Uh, to just touch on this for a moment about the fact that Damian Lillard, one of my favorite players who has ever put on any Portland sports jersey, uh, is what thirty-two years old now, and and we haven't delivered to him the the, the city or, or or the or the franchise or or, or or any of that haven't delivered to him the success that I would like to see him achieve because of everything that he's given to the Blazers, because of everybody everything that he's given to us as Blazers fans. Uh, it feels like like we haven't reciprocated by giving him the, the the championship run that he deserves. And do I feel good about going into year three with a coach who after two years, I don't know if can actually coach in light of that context? That makes me real nervous. I also just think like the question of whether he can coach is an oversimplification, because like I said, I think there are things yeah, that really sure. like that he has you know great skill at, including, like I said, like I do think being able to manage a locker room and knowing what buttons to push to get the best out of players is more than half of the job. But the but the X's and O's and the tactician side of it is also important. And if you don't have that, then you have to have great assistants who do. And that's you know, so it's all it's all tied up in it and also we just haven't seen the blazers play a lot of really high leverage basketball these two years That's and true. so um you know but i would say like yeah you're up 24 on the road in golden you know in san francisco for a shorthanded warriors team and you are needing these wins you know it reflects poorly on everybody when that when that lead goes away in what was kind of a higher leverage game right mm-hmm. i mean you know in in terms of high leverage basketball that the blazers have played over the last two years that's probably about the most important game they've played uh, in given where they are in the standings and where Golden State is in the standings and the opportunity that they had and they booted it. Well, and I would say tonight too, and we're recording this on Wednesday yeah. afternoon tonight against New Orleans. They're all right. Kind of bunched there in the, you know, in the 10, 11, 12, uh, 9, 10, 11, 12 in the West, New Orleans has been sliding. It's imperative to me that, that the Blazers find a way to, to win. And also, by the way, the Lakers are in Oklahoma City without Anthony Davis, LeBron James. And I think D'Angelo Russell's also out. So right. all of a sudden it's like you can pick up a game on the, on on the the Pelicans, the Lakers, and you can hold steady with the Thunder, assuming the Thunder beat that shorthanded Lakers team. Um, okay, Timbers. <laughs> we told you soccer. it was crossover content uh, right right at the outset, dear listener. Okay. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> are you still there, dear listener? It's me, Bill. <laughs> um, so just quick, I just want I do, I want to quickly establish my my soccer bona fides here because there might be some people saying, hey. Like, aren't you the basketball guy? Why are you talking to us about soccer? And I want you guys to know 
that I did play the game uh, for the Cloverdale Tigers on the Oregon coast until about fourth grade. And I want you to know that I did grow up attending Portland pride indoor soccer games at the Rose garden in the nineties. I have a small soccer ball somewhere signed by Jeff Betts. If anybody else remembers Jeff Betts, yeah, yeah. who was the, who was the star of the Portland pride, which had a four year right. run remember that in well. the indoor soccer league in, in Portland at the Rose garden. So, um, I'm not no noob. I, <laughs> I have some history, <laughs> but I'm also, I am also learning a lot. I'm learning a lot about MLS. I covered RSL, uh, intermittently when I was, uh, in, in Salt Lake city a decade ago. So I've been around it, but, um, excited to see what I can, what I can pick up from you too, Chris. So I was at the opener against, um, sporting KC, Timbers win one nil on the pitch. Great work. Um, oh, fan- fantastic. Expertly done. Thank you. I, I also, I also play FIFA with my buddies. I just want you guys to know that like, <laughs> it's just like, it's, you're starting to see, like I'm, I'm, I'm basically expert level. Um, what were your, uh, what were your takeaways from that game? What jumped out to you? And, uh, you know, as, as somebody who watches this closely and, and also knows what you were looking at, what were the primary takeaways from game one? Match one. Match one. Yes. Uh, and I, I will say, you, Bill, you are in a, in a safe space in terms of using whatever words you want to use. Uh, if you want to say one zero instead of one nil, if you want to say field instead of pitch, uh, I am not going to jump down your throat. I can't guarantee that's going to be the case for everybody who listens to this podcast, but you're not going to get it. get it back from me on that. Uh, one, other, one, one other thing after the after the <laughs> after the Portland Pride season ended in like 96 or 97, they had like, you know, they would have like the fans come down on the AstroTurf field, AstroTurf pitch or whatever. And they, they handed out like signed, you know, that's when you could get autographs or whatever. And I remember that the goalkeeper or the, you know, the goalkeeper came by and I got a ball signed by Jeff Betts, as I mentioned, and, you know, a few things. And Jeff Betts, I remember like one season, he had like long hair down to his waist. And then the next season he was shaved completely bald. Like he'd gone, like he'd had like his, like the full nineties transformation. So I'm like focused <laughs> on Jeff Betts because he scored lots of goals and I remember this little girl turning to me and saying, do you want a glove? And she hands me like the signed like goalies glove. And I'm like, this is awesome. It's and then moment. and and then we got in the car to drive the two and a half hours home to the Oregon coast. And I started to understand why this girl like had given me the glove, because after an entire season of indoor soccer, this thing was rank and i remember i just i can still remember the smell it's it was that strong you know i was 10 years old probably and i remember i i my mom put it in like a a plastic ziploc bag and i took it to school for show and tell and then it was like and then it was like okay now what do i do with this thing and i think we ended up uh disposing of it in a yeah yeah. hazardous waste site somewhere but Anyway, well, and, and I mean, that's, that's very much also like the, you know, in this day and age, right, they're, they're getting they're getting new gloves regularly, right? That was not the case in uh, the, the MISL days, uh, in which uh, I imagine they probably had like a couple pairs <laughs> that they played with over the course of the season. I'm seeing the CISL. Continental indoor, so- Continental indoor soccer league. Con- well, yeah, uh, I think there were a few different indoor soccer leagues. Which is, I mean, look, there there are people smarter about the the, the history of American uh, American soccer and and the various leagues that we went through in sort of the the the, the dark ages between the collapse of the NASL and uh, and and the the, the rise of MLS. Uh, but it, it is truly wild. Uh, it, it is very genuinely dark ages. 
but not Dark Ages uh, was was for once actually uh, the Timbers home opener. Did you like that transition? That was uh, that I, was that was <laughs> smooth stuff. That is uh, um, that that is that is a wonderful transition. Great segue. There have been some dark days uh, in Timbers openers. They actually haven't won one since uh, since 2017. So this was Gio Savarese's first opener that he has won, uh, and the Timbers did win one zero over Sporting Kansas City. Uh, I think you know in terms of takeaways from the game, it was it in many ways reminded me of the Sporting Kansas City games that we would see at Providence Park between about 2013 and 2016 or 2017 or so, there were actually a string of zero zeros. And it's because that vintage of sporting, sporting Kansas city teams were expert disruptors. And that generally served them pretty well. That was kind of the, you know, calling card of Peter Vermees's sporting Kansas city teams. They pressed pretty They pressed hard. They pressed really effectively. They didn't necessarily always have the top end talent that would be, that would be creating tons of chances and, and, and playing beautifully flowing soccer, but they were really well drilled. They were fit. Uh, and they worked hard to disrupt the games, which led to some absolutely unwatchable games at Providence Park. I think that basically describes what we just saw. <laughs> a pretty unwatchable <laughs> game at Providence Park in which the Timbers nicked a goal early uh, and, and and held on uh, over the course of, of 90 minutes that were largely defined by how disruptive Sporting Kansas City was. Uh, but the Timbers generally doing a good job of keeping SKC from turning that disruption or disruptability, to use not a word, uh, and, uh, and, and, and from turning that into really quality chances, SKC had a few, not a ton. David Bingham was up to it, uh, in, in the two or three instances that they, uh, that they genuinely threatened goal. And that's about all she wrote. Um, uh, so, you know, in that respect, uh, I think the biggest questions for the Timbers coming into the season were how well they were going to be able to defend. And this is actually, I think, a reasonable data point that that from a team perspective, and I don't just mean the back line, although I think the back line generally did a good job, but from a team perspective, they did a really nice job of when they turned the ball over and they did it an awful lot early in possession. When they did that, they did a nice job of, of, of putting enough pressure, immediate pressure on SKC to keep those moments from becoming one and two passes and SKC being in. Uh, and so credit to the Timbers for doing that. That's a good data point on something that I think was very genuinely a question heading into the season. Uh, and and now I think the Timbers have to answer some questions going forward. They're going to face LAFC this weekend. That's another team, I think, especially this year, uh, that's got, that likes to press and that will press quite a bit and could pose some of those same challenges. And then the weekend after that, it's going to be St. Louis, uh, who uh, I, I think nobody thinks particularly highly of. But if they showed anything in Austin this last weekend in, in taking – uh, in, in taking a, a surprise road win from the fighting Matthew McConaughey's, they mm-hmm. they did a tremendous job uh, of being disruptive in much the same way. And so I think the Timbers are going to face similar challenges over the course of the next couple of weeks, and we'll see if they have the ability to sort of grow beyond them. Did you know that in the 1997 season, Jeff Betts scored 33 goals with 21 assists in 26 games? Remarkable. That's I mean, look, that, that, is, a, that is a scoring record that is, that is difficult to, <laughs> for, for the uh, to overcome. Okay, yeah, so yeah, can't shake a stick at that. So I I went into the game on on Monday, um, not on Saturday because of the snow delay. Um, very curious, like many, I think about about the impact of Evander. And you know, I had not seen much of him. You know, attacking midfielder, obviously, um, you know, had had a huge impact in in Denmark. But what 
I was, and I'm not such a casual that I go in and expect him to score three goals and 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 thinking <laughs> if if it doesn't show up, you know, statistically that he's not having an impact. Like I understand, I understand the game well enough to know that like it's not all you know the counting stats unless you're Jeff Betts, Portland Pride star from 1993 to 1997. Um, but I I I thought I thought a couple things. Like one, I thought he was a little slow to get going, and then I was I was definitely aware of the times where he seemed frustrated that um that the run of play was not being completed back to him there were a couple of opportunities i thought where he got he got himself into space after sort of sparking the action and the ball did not come back to him and he wasn't he wasn't um getting the reward and i i i'm sure that that's the sort of thing that you know kind of works itself out as as teams become more familiar as the team becomes more familiar as the club becomes more familiar with 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 him and how he plays but um you know, I wrote a whole column about this, so you, so you could just read it. But um, you know, one, I was struck by like Geo's excitement about him uh, long term and kind of the magic, as he described it, of what he brings on the pitch. But um, and I'm sure you and Ryan have talked about this too. But what were you most interested in seeing from Evander in in his first in his first appearance? And what what how did you feel coming away from the game? And were there were there takeaways specific to his impact, or is it just too soon? I think it's too soon. And in part, it's too soon because SKC really did a lot of work to deny him the ball first and foremost. Uh, And so they made the game really challenging on him. And I liked the fact that he grew more into it as the second half went along, uh, that they started finding more spots in which they could find him. And they started finding uh, sort of looking to play through him. Um, But look, the the way SKC played, everything was going to come down, was going to need to come down the outside, right? Because that's just where this, that's where the space was. Both of their fullbacks were pushed on uh, in possession. They were pushed on and pressing, and that's where the space was. And so as a result of that, there was just a lot of traffic around the central spaces that Evander tends to, tends to operate. Uh, And I, I agree with you entirely that they're going to get better uh at, at at making the combination play sharper at working out the patterns of play to get him the ball regardless and they're going to need to because if they don't then he's going to be too easy over the course of the season to eliminate from games as i think he basically was uh against kansas city but the fact that that happened in the first in in sort of week one uh against a team that's that's pretty well designed to do stuff like that uh doesn't cause me a, a tremendous amount of concern. I think you're right that he probably had a a frank conversation with Marvin Loria after the game, uh, who seemed to be uh, the, the the guy most on the other end of the balls that he wasn't getting. Um, but th- that that's that's sort of part of the process. And I think every player, and especially every star player, uh, who is going to be the focal point of an attack, understands that that's something that that just needs to be worked out. I liked though, frankly, the fact that he seemed to be frustrated that he wasn't getting the ball. Uh, I think the Timbers in the last year, uh, as Sebastian Blanco has has faded a little bit in his impact, have lacked somebody, uh, and especially with Eric Williamson having a little bit of a difficult year last year, have lacked somebody who is going to put the attack on their shoulders and say, I'm the guy. Uh, I am the guy we're going to play through. I'm going to be the primary playmaker here. I'm going to score some goals. Uh, and I'm going to have those counting stats that, that, that you just referenced. And so even though things weren't going great, I sort of, from the very squishy, like body language kind of perspective, loved the fact that he seemed to me demanding that kind of treatment within the Timbers attack because that's their best bet uh, for for twenty twenty three. Jeff Betts, that's their best Jeff Betts for twenty twenty three. We promised, we promised pun content, and now we are delivering. It's finally uh, arrived. Puns made in Portland. 
so I, you know, I, and I, I don't want to put too much on one player's shoulders, right? At least, you know, culturally, but you look at Evander and he is the highest, you know, you know, the most expensive transfer in, in, you know, club history, $10 million, I believe is the number. Um, yep. You know, he comes in, you know, there was a thought that he was potentially going to be headed to a bigger club in Europe. He ends up with, with the Timbers, um, maybe the biggest move in the MLS last summer in MLS. Do I say the, in, in MLS, in M- that is the one thing that I will jump down your throat at, okay. uh, at okay. don't put the definite article in front of MLS. Definitely don't um, in, in <laughs> MLS. And, and so I do look at this sort of as a, as a, as a transformative moment for, Timbers, <laughs> can I say the Timbers? You, you may say the Timbers. That that that's perfectly adequate. You just can't say that the Major League Soccer, unless uh, in, unless Major League Soccer is an adjective that's modifying something that comes after it. Go ahead. So um, I I wonder in your perspective how significant the arrival of a player of of this caliber and with this amount of buzz can be for the Timbers. When listen, I mean you 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 guys have talked about it a lot. I've written about it. Um, you know I. I'm still on the side that Merritt Paulson should not be the owner of, of this team, but that doesn't seem to be moving at this exact moment. Um, the ga- the season is here. The games are being played. Fans are, are coming to the stadium or deciding whether they want to come to the stadium. Um, you know, you've got people who aren't really fans of the Timbers who maybe have feel a certain sort of way about the organization after the news of the last couple of years, um, which leads me to a very big question and something I, I sort of addressed in the column, but really think is more of just a, a possibility and a question. Can a player like a Vander be sort of a bridge in, in, in the fracture that exists and, and not to not, and not that it undoes any of the pain that has, that has occurred or who, or that it, you know, or that to, to marginalize any of that in any way. But is there, um, if, if, if the timbers are going to sort of, regrow their fan base and if they're going to win back people is a player you know a charismatic you know compelling player who wasn't here for any of that by the way um like a vander does he does he play a part in that and can he have an impact in that sense my short answer is probably not my my longer answer is maybe but it would take just i mean it, it, frankly it would take lightning striking twice and a vander becoming the kind of franchise face that Diego Valeri was not mm-hmm. just from a really good soccer playing perspective, uh, but also from a sort of community and, and, and sort of representative of the club perspective. Mm-hmm. And quite candidly, I mean, I would only put in terms of Oregon sports history, a very small handful of people in the group with Diego Valeri and mm-hmm. their ability to do exactly that. I think, you know, you're Marcus Mario Taz, uh, you know, maybe you can, maybe Damian Lillard kind of goes in that category uh, in terms of recent history. But I mean, look, I mean, you could, you could drag it back as long as you want. And, and it's probably, you know, a very small group uh, of people uh, who, who could be counted among mm-hmm. as that kind of figure. And so I think that's almost an unfair expectation to or or question to ask whether he is going to be that sort of on on, on day mm-hmm. one um because that is just so 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 rare even when a player is very very good uh it is so rare that they transcend in that way look i i, I think the the riffs are largely off field and and so even if evander is a very good player if that's what he is he's a very good player and the timbers go on and, and, and become a good team i think those riffs will remain uh and i think it's it, it was really notable to me. I was not there in person, but I was watching on TV and I've talked to a number of folks who were there. It was really notable to me that in a season opener, there were 
Not a ton, but there were definitely a a decent number of empty seats in Providence Park, and in mm-hmm. particular, a decent number of empty seats in in the North End where the Timbers Army is. And I think before you know, bef- before we we get the the cries of protest uh, from the club, yes, rescheduling definitely had an impact on that. No question about it. Um, moving from Saturday to Monday, it's a worst day of the week, but it's also just a change in plans, and people have you know. May had had conflicts that they didn't previously have, right? It was also thirty three degrees at first kick, freezing, absolutely. But I th- I hearken back more, to more like Tim Burr. Yeah, whew. this is this is this is exactly what we promised. You are you are delivering uh, just as uh, as Ryan and I said you would uh, a, a couple weeks ago before he left for Italy. Um, but I hearken back to one of the most famous quotes I think in Timber's history, which was Liam Ridgewell shortly after he he arrived uh, as a player uh, was sort of asked about, about the the fan support and the team and, and all of that. And he said, look, I mean, these folks would fill up this place to watch 22 squirrels kick around a soccer ball on this field. And that just feels like forever ago because these issues about scheduling and weather and those kinds of things, they may be reasons or excuses now uh, for why not all the seats are filled, but they would have blown through those things four years ago, five years ago, they, 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 they could have scheduled that thing on, on, at two o'clock on a Wednesday, uh, and, and had, you know, dang near every seat in Providence park, uh, full. And so I, I think that is, I, I think that's just a demonstration of, even though there is this excitement about Evander, even though there is the excitement that you're going to get for a home opener in any year with hope springing eternal, there were still, there were still good seats to be had. And, and I think if, if folks are sort of looking at this from the perspective of where the club was and where it is now, uh, that should be concerning. And, and I think that should be something that, that the club should be thinking about very proactively. And I think also, I mean, we have to acknowledge, I mean, that last year was not a particularly compelling year of soccer. Not from, a great year. From the, from the, from the Timbers. Um, and so, I, you know, maybe, maybe there is a certain lag from that. But yeah, you're right. And, and just going back to my earlier point about Evander, I, I just would say that the city of Portland needs a reason to be excited about the Timbers again. And, um, you know, the, 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 the team wasn't that good a year ago. Obviously there's been a lot of reasons, like you said, off the pitch to lose trust with the franchise. And that's why I think a player of, of this caliber and kind of this sort of, it, it, it is stars that kind of get people out of their seats to go see a team that they might not otherwise go see. If there is a great show happening at Providence park. And that's where I think, you know, he could be, sort of part of a revitalization of everything you're talking about as well. But obviously it needs to, it needs to, um, it needs to come through on the pitch too. God, I did yeah, it again. It, the pitch. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so I, I guess I'll draw a, a fine distinction and a distinction that I think the club probably wouldn't care too much about, but I think people who have been involved in this community for a long time would, um, which is, I think Evander has greater ability to build new bridges than he does to build bridges that have to rebuild bridges that have been burned. I think that's a good point. And I, and I think, I, I think I agree with that, but I think, I think, you know, there's a difference between bridges that have been burnt with like supporters who've given up on, on the organ, on the organization as long as merits uh, the owner and people who might just sort of have a casual um, disdain for the timbers because of what they've read in the news versus yeah. um, having felt personally betrayed by sort of the actions of, of the front office. 
I will say though that the the folks who feel you know more sort of were invest were more invested and in, and in, and in, and feel sort of more personally affected by by the things that have happened in the front office, those are the folks who absolutely would have been there on a rainy Monday night, right? I mean, those are the folks who who would be there any conditions, any day, any time. They would have cleared their schedule to be at the home opener, and I think those were a lot of folks uh, who were empty seats uh, in in the game on Monday. And and I you look, I I mean, I you know, I've said a number of times, if if I were the Timbers, and and even just in my capacity as a person who considers himself just a part of the Timbers community, I think those people are really really important. And so I think just the fact that there might be some future ability to build some new bridges elsewhere uh, doesn't answer the important problem and, and, and doesn't solve the important problem of rebuilding uh, those connections that have been lost. Because I think those, those connections in their own right are not replaceable. This isn't a one-for-one kind of deal. And I do, do want to be clear because I, 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 one one landmine I see with this this point I'm making is almost this idea like, oh, hey, don't look at the terrible things that have happened in this organization. Look at this shiny new object over here, like, you know, like the fan base is a cat with a ball of yarn. And I don't I don't mean to suggest that at all. And I suppose even a very, a very, very cynical perspective could be that that's why the Timbers wanted were, were so aggressive in getting a player like Evander is that they needed they needed a spark and they needed a team or a player that could be a distraction from everything that has has sort of plagued them over the last couple of years. Uh, I think that'd be a very cynical perspective, but um, you know you could certainly go there. And so I, I do want to try to see at least the, the argument I'm making from all sides as well. Um, Chris, one one and nil and nil one zero zero in the standings. Um, LAFC coming up on. Zeros. They, they, their game got canceled uh, against the Galaxy, got, got canceled as a result of the weather down in L.A. Uh, so this is the opener for LAFC yep, now. Yep. Uh, this is uh, it was always going to be their home opener. It is going to be their championship banner unveiling, yep. which is something Tim, the Timbers very much enjoy ruining uh, banner unveilings. Uh, last year, of course, the Sounders delayed their CONCACAF Champions League banner unveiling so that they could do it when the Timbers came to town. Hmm. And then the, the Timbers smacked them. Uh, which was particularly enjoyable, I think, for Timbers fans. Uh, LAFC didn't go out of their way to do it when the Timbers were there, but they are doing it when the Timbers are there. Uh, and I think they would they they would love to similarly spoil a party. Uh, it's going to be a challenging one. This isn't sure. the same LAFC team that that won the double last year, uh, mind you. Uh, the it is a team in which Carlos Vela is a is a year older than he was. He's I, I think thirty four, thirty five now, and and frankly, toward the end of last year, started to show some of those signs of age. Uh, Chicho Arango, uh, or who I, I think you can call the billionaires Yaroslav Nizhgoda. Um, he I know gone. I do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, who who wouldn't and who wouldn't come up with that? Uh, he's gone, uh, and and I think there's a big hole now, uh, sort of at center forward for LAFC. They've got some potential folks to fill it, um, but it's uh, it, it, it's you know he it's not easy to to replace a guy who's scoring 20 plus goals on the reg. Uh, and and so that's going to be uh, an issue for LAFC. They are still as good as anybody in the league, and especially with the signing of Aaron Long uh, on their back line. I think they might have saved perhaps the Philadelphia Union, the most talented back line in MLS. Their midfield three is phenomenal uh, that, that, that they like to play with. Uh, their central midfield is just phenomenal. 
and then Carlitos Vela is still Carlitos Vela, right? Uh, he, uh, he, he can, he is a former MLS MVP and for good reason, uh, for a couple of years, he was basically the undisputable best player in the league. Uh, and he can still, still do some things. And I think they've got a guy in Denis Buanga who is potentially a solution for them at number nine, probably is still going to be on the wing opposite Vela, um, is a guy who uh, only scored one goal in the regular season last year after coming in in the summer. It was at Providence Park in second half stoppage time in the second to last game of the year and was in some respects the goal that knocked the Timbers out of the playoffs. Um, uh, But he scored a couple goals in the playoffs and I think is a guy who LAFC expect a lot more from as a designated player this year than he showed last year. And and most folks tend to think that Quadwapoku is going to get the start up top. Uh, He's a guy who's hurt the Timbers in the past. Uh, and and has shown at least some potential to 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 be able to do some work uh, up top. But I, I think this is you know even with taking a step back from last year as I expect from this LAFC team, I would still put them very easily in the top four or five teams in the league. Uh, maybe not quite at the level of a Philadelphia Union just just yet, who looked awesome in 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 the first week, but certainly they are expected to be as good as anybody in the West. Uh, and, and, and so it's a, it's a huge challenge for the Timbers, uh, heading into the weekend. Is LAFC as good as the 1993 Portland pride? Ooh, I'm going to go ahead and say, I mean, given that, that, you know, one had a roster valuation probably in the tens of thousands and another has a roster valuation in the tens of millions. I'm going to go ahead and say, yes, I would take LAFC, uh, over the mid nineties Portland pride. I mean that is a, you're really putting yourself out there, Chris, and I don't I don't really know how the the maiden <laughs> soccer soccer made soccer made in Portland uh, list, list fan base. I don't know how the fan base is going to respond to this. Yeah, yeah, I know I disavowed hot takes earlier in this in the show, but but you know, I mean, uh, at some point you got to you got to get stuck in, right? What were your so what were your impressions as, as somebody who has covered soccer in the past? I want to go back to the game last weekend. Uh, and just not even necessarily from the sort of, you know, on field kind of perspective, uh, as somebody who's covered soccer in the past is, is a, an Oregon guy through and through, uh, who has been, uh, you know, plugged in, uh, to some extent since, as we've discussed the mid nineties, what, what were your takeaways? I mean, what were you thinking when you walked out of Providence park, uh, after, uh, after you filed your story on, on Monday? Uh, I have been plugged in to the soccer made in Portland podcast as a fill in. So, um, <laughs> no, you know, I, I think. You know, as I've had time to reflect on it, I mean, the, uh, watch, watching watching the match on the pitch um, when the ball didn't go into touch, I was I, I was I was struck by, as you said, <laughs> how 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 high Sporting KC was was pressing, and I felt kind of I did find it. I I, I felt that there was going to be an equalizer at some point. I, I felt like that was going they were creating enough opportunities and just hammering it into the box time and time again that they were going to connect on one of those crosses or one of those long passes. And so I, I kind of expected there to be more drama. And there was that late header that just went clear of the box or just to the, the, the yeah. right of the, the goal right in front of us in the press box. And, you know, that could have been the moment for SKC. But. Uh, that all circles back to what you were talking about with the defensive performance. And I thought that, you know, the fact that, that the, the back line did, did hold strong, was able to definitely clear virtually all of those opportunities, as you said, um, you know, a solid performance in goal, but I mean, also not particularly tested. It wasn't a, it's not like he had it, to stand on his head. No, exactly. That's a term I'll use uh, unprompted next time on my own. Um, <laughs> I, I I just felt like you know defensively. I mean, they took care of business. I mean, they took the they they took the drama out of it. And you know, 
maybe you thought after those those opening moments where they had those repeated opportunities um where mascara ends up you know finally you know breaking through in the in the, in the sixth minute that there was going to be maybe more um explosive moments for for the timbers of mls as well but um you know, I mean, you you take you take one nil and, and you move on. And I thought the most encouraging thing probably was the defensive performance, and frankly, the fact that you 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 get the W um, in a game. Do we say the W in in MLS? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, uh, or or you know, you, you can you can lean into three points. You 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 get you get the three points when you still when your huge offseason acquisition is still finding his footing. And that is encouraging that on a night that he wasn't as impactful as you expect him to be, that you still found a way to win. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. But, you know, the, they've got their work cut off for him. They, they, they have to get better week after week uh, because other teams in MLS will. Uh, and I think SKC showed a roadmap for being able to jam up the, the, the Timbers fairly well. I also think that if they can, I think if they can also postpone all their games by two days on short notice and force teams to adjust to that. uh, It really could be a strategy that works in their favor. Yeah, that's right. So we just need, uh, you know, I mean, there have been any number of things that have, that have postponed games in Portland over the last few years, but if we could just get, you know, regularly every week, snow, smoke, heat, scandal, among other things, uh, that, that that can kick it. Uh, I think that'll, that'll certainly help the team. You know, Chris, I don't know if you've given any thought to writing a, uh, a Portland soccer book or a Timbers book, but if you do, and it was called snow, smoke, heat scandal, I would buy the <laughs> hell out of that. All right. All right. I will, I, I will give that some serious thought. Uh, snow, smoke, heat and scandal. Uh, you know, I mean the Timbers, the Timbers have a number of each of those things. Uh, and, and certainly the thorns, uh, have a number of each of those things in the past. The, they had the snow game in Colorado uh, a couple of years ago that ended three, three, uh, they, they, an they avalanche of goals. Oh wait, that's hockey. Sorry. Yeah, that it is hockey, but I'll still give you credit for it. Uh, it was an avalanche of goals and of disappointment g- given that the Timbers were up three, one. And I think we're maybe even up a man in that game as well. Do Timbers, um, do, do, do Timbers supporters, uh, call Colorado the crapids like RSL fans do? Uh, there, there are some, but it's definitely not at the level, uh, that, that you get in RSL with the, the Rocky mountain. Oh, what is the, the rivalry name? It's the Rocky mountain cup or something like that. Uh, the, the earlier years, Chris would have expected me to have that a, at my fingers, but yeah, not at the, uh, not at the RSL level of, uh, of crap. It's content. I just remember like, again, being relatively new to all that in like 2011 and walking around the newsroom at the Salt Lake Tribune and very buttoned down, like professional people, you know, would be like, "Hey, Bill, are you going to are you going to the game on you know on Saturday?" It's like, "Yeah, I think I'm going to go out and write a sidebar." We got to beat the Crapids, man! And I'm like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> like this. Is, so anyway, I get it. Okay, I just didn't know if that was a you universal. Were the, you term. were there for RSL glory years. The the they were the very Jason good. Christ, uh, mm-hmm. the Jason Christ era knocked Jason the Timbers Christ out superstar. of the playoffs mm-hmm. in 2013. The team is the star. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure you can say the same for the Timbers. Got to hold their hold their shape. That's right. That's right. Uh, in the diamond. Um, but yeah, we digress nonetheless. Um, but you, you know, I, I, I think, I, I, I think that I think you, you came away with the right takeaway, uh, overall, uh, from the game, anybody else on the field who during the course of play, you looked at and said, and who caught your eye as, as, as a, as a soccer part-timer, um, not quite a noob, but close to a noob. Uh, anybody else who caught your eye? Nope. Nope. Nobody. <laughs> No other comments. <laughs> I'll tell you what I did. I was sitting there. I was talking to Tyson Alger, who used to work for the Oregonian and is, and uh, now now has his own website. We were sitting there talking in the second half, and I was, I'm watching I'm watching the game, and I said, "Oh, 
Graham Zuzi still plays for for Kansas City. And he looked over at me and said, who? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're that's what you, you, you know, are dealing with here. I, I think uh, I, I think you had a similar conversation uh, with Tyson that I had with my partner while we were watching the game. Uh, as as I I had a moment where I was like, "Oh, Graham Zusi is still like starting for <laughs> SKC," and I there, it's entirely plausible that at that moment she looked over at me and said, "Who?" Yeah. So uh, so we were just living in parallel universes. Uh, is is all it was. Mine just mine mine just mine just has more Portland Portland pride memorabilia in it. That's right. That's right. Uh, stinky Portland Pride memorabilia. Uh, so one other bit of Timbers news that we found out just the morning after the game, Tom Bogert, uh, New Jersey Fabrizio Romano, as I like to call him, uh, tweeted that the uh, the Timbers are in advanced talks with, uh, with Frank Boley, uh, a striker uh, playing in Hungary right now. Uh, it sounds like that deal is going to happen. It's going to be sort of in the targeted allocation money range. Uh, which, if that means anything at all to you, Bill, I will be impressed, but also a little bit disappointed. Uh, and uh, it looks like th- that's going to be in the TAM range. Uh, it-, it is apparently a-, a one-year deal of some sort, whether it's a loan or a full transfer, we don't know yet. Uh, but it's nonetheless a deal that's going to keep uh, the Timbers' flexibility open heading into 2024, which I think uh, is critical for everything that they're doing now. Um, so uh, from my view, sort of a, a low-risk move, uh, it's not a long commitment. They're not tying up a lot and, and, and they have, you know, even though they have a lot of bodies occupying the number nine position and a lot of cap space dedicated to the number nine position, it's obviously not one that's been locked down. I think those hoping for a, uh, a, you know, sudden emergence of Yaroslav Nizhgoda were probably pretty disappointed with the way the game played out, uh, on Monday. He was a non-factor 20 touches over the course of a 60 minute shift shift, especially one in which, with SKC pressing as high as they did, I mean, look, there are two ways to to play against the press. One, you got to play through it, which means you got to be really sharp in your combinations. That's what I did when I played the game in third grade. Played through it, yeah. Classic, classic. You know, central midfielder. I'm guessing you're a central midfielder, sort of a you know a, a, a Diego Chara type. I was right there in the middle of the pack that chased the, pack. the ball all over yeah. the field. That was me. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, so you were a cha- you were a chaser, not a kicker. That's probably that's probably true. I mean, that feels that feels like a loaded question, and I'm in, in some ways, but yes. Um, and I and I would say, listen. I mean, we all know that uh, that the Timbers need 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 help up top. So, if a one year a one year deal with Frank Boley, I think, really does give them, like you said, whole, keeping the flexibility, but also giving them maybe just a little bit of a of a, of a different, stronger look uh, in in that position. I think. Uh, Bodes super well for their future. I mean, him plus you know the savior of Vander makes a great difference, huge difference, it, or at least may make a huge difference. I mean, they, and and that really is, I think, the thing with Bully. He comes in as a profile of a kind of guy who has succeeded in MLS before, but certainly hasn't isn't sort of a a can't miss signing right. uh, like I think an Evander would be. Uh, and so the way I kind of see it is, it's it, it's you know they added one more die that they can roll. Uh, at, at the number nine spot. Eventually, Felipe Mora is going to be in there uh, once he's back from surgery. But look, I mean, he had microfracture surgery and I don't need to yeah. say more to a guy who's been plugged into the Portland sports scene for a long time. Uh, you know that that is a fraught proposition. Uh, and 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 Nathan, uh, I think, showed some flashes uh, against SKC as he did last year, but also didn't show, you know, I mean, you know, didn't show the, 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 the ultimate product, uh, the countable stats, as you put it. And so I, I think the Timbers have some dice to roll uh, at number nine. I'm not sure any of their players at the number nine spot are more than a roll of the dice, but at least Bully adds another die to their hand. And Bully to you, 
Chris Reifer. This has been a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, one more bit of news that we need to hit before we move on, b- before we close it out and and mercifully let our listeners go. Uh, the Thorns uh, the uh, announced their preseason tournament. Uh, this isn't much more than news, but March 12th through 18th. So basically like the two full weeks from now or a week and a half from now, uh, the Thorns are going to be having their preseason tournament. The U.S. Women's National Team U23s are back for that. Uh, the, uh, the I almost said the Seattle rain, but they get, that gives them too much credit. Uh, OL rain uh, are going to be uh, are going to be down for that, as is uh, racing Louisville. So uh, the Thorns are going to be live and in person and uh, have preseason soccer at in Portland. Um, something that we did not have on the timber side. I just have to. I just have to needle them for that every episode. It's in my contract. Uh, and uh, and we are going to have that. So coming up in a couple of weeks, we'll have more to say about the Thorns uh, once we see them on the field uh, in an offseason that has been both one of, of remarkable stability in terms of the roster and also absolute chaos in terms of everything else. So uh, that will all turn into soccer here in a couple of weeks. Sounds great to me, Chris. <laughs> well, Bill, hey, uh, I appreciate you, uh, you, you, you coming on and 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 letting us do this uh, this crossover content this week. Um, I'm glad we could we could run the gamut. We could do soccer by Northwest. Uh, we could hit some places. Yes. We could hit some timbers. We could ever so briefly uh, touch on the thorns. Um, and uh, yeah, I appreciate you uh, you have having me and me. I guess at the same time having you in terms of crossovers. How would you would you how would you compare us to like you know any crossovers you've seen on TV? Uh, is, is there an obvious analogy? You know, I remember when I was a kid, when I wasn't going to Portland Pride games, reading the Nancy Drew Hardy Boys Super Mysteries. Ooh, I feel nice. like I feel like I feel like this is essentially akin to one of those. Okay, that sounds that sounds about right. And to be honest, like I I I am more than happy to to go with that. Um, because, uh, that's, I, that, that, that is, you know, far better than what I was going to think of, which is like when random celebrities would, would appear as voices on the Simpsons. Um, uh, that makes the, more sense I, probably. Yeah. I, I was going to like, you know, compare myself to like that one episode where like Gerald Ford, uh, you know, was on that was on the Simpsons, but, uh, I like yours better. So we're going to go with that as the official, uh, crossover comparison. Spe- speaking of Gerald Ford, did you th- see the thing on Twitter today where somebody gave all the presidents of the United States mullets? I did. It was, it was pretty fantastic. And, but honestly, like as, as I scrolled through, I, I didn't make it through all, what are we up to? Like 45. Uh, I didn't make the, make it through all of them, but I, of the ones that I saw, uh, I, I at least got through like most of the second half of the 20th century. Biden's oh no, you need, you, you need to, you need to go all the way back. Oh, I thought LBJ was the best, but you do need to go. Really? You need, you need to go farther back you absolutely okay. need to go farther back. I, uh, you know, um, there was <laughs> there were a couple where you're like, did he just have a mullet? Like, did Chester Arthur <laughs> actually just have this hair? Because it was very I, it was very believable. So Jimmy Carter, I, I that was exactly my impression. I was like, that just looks like it could have been a picture of Jimmy Carter at one point. <laughs> like, not at the time <laughs> he was president, but like earlier. <laughs> there are a few of these. There are a few of these, and I've got it up now that look like really good. I mean, like, I mean, the, actually, did you did you make it to Eisenhower? Yes, yes, I did. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about uh it looks like you can find find it on twitter user cam harless at ham carless uh did it it was it's pretty stupendous work yes the, the, i mean that is the thing the internet is best for i think the internet has has you know 
has various issues uh, that, that people on other podcasts can talk about. But when it comes to doing things like putting mullets on presidents, um, that is that is right in the Internet's wheelhouse. Pretty darn good. Um, it also brought us together, Chris. So that's right. Um, the internet, that's the right. Internet's not all bad. I mean, the li- listeners might disagree, but uh, I've enjoyed this. <laughs> all right. So we're going to get out of here for uh, soccer by Northwest sports made in Portland. Um, thank you for listening. I'm Bill Oram. He was Chris Reifer, the one who was actually saying informed things about, about soccer. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll be back with our mercifully with our, with our separate podcast next week. <laughs> 